0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app
1: today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500,
0: 500 Hey, everybody. Uh, I've got an important one today. You know, for once. Mark Elias, my lawyer and the election lawyer for virtually every uh, Democrat in the Senate, is with me to discuss perhaps... The single most crucial moment in the history of our democracy, I think since the 1965 Voting Rights Act, if not more so, actually, a number of Democrats in the Senate, including Amy Klobuchar and Joe Manchin, have agreed on an historically significant voting rights bill that, if it passes, would literally save our democracy. Mark and I will go into what's in the bill includes a, a just a lot of stuff that isn't in uh, for the People Act and, or the uh, John Lewis Act because uh, since those transformative pieces of election form were written not passed written, Republican state legislatures have been passing hideous measures to to counter them for instance in Texas they've recently made it the law that allows Republican poll watchers to physically <laughs> intimidate voters. Now, this puts a check on that, says that a poll watcher can't come within eight feet of a voter. That's amazing, isn't it, that you have to legislate that. But anyway, there's all kinds of responses to Republicans' responses to the election reform bills that we had written. In a way, you could say we flushed them out. They responded to to the bills we wrote and said, "I right, oh, we'll do something. I will allow poll watchers to get within three inches of a voter and breathe on them. If COVID's still happening, that'll be really effective. thing is, we, we either pass this new voting rights bill or we don't. Uh, Mitch McConnell has let it be known that the bill uh, will not get one single Republican vote. Not one. But if we don't pass this Freedom to Vote Act, it will mean, I believe, and I, I don't know how you escape this conclusion that our entire democracy will fall. It's it's that serious. If you know me and Mark, then you know we really enjoy these conversations, and I, I hope you will too, but this one is unbelievably important. We live in a very hinky time. The disinformation universe continues to expand. Online, on Fox, on talk radio, Uh, two-thirds of Republicans now think that Joe Biden stole the election from Trump. Even while there are daily revelations that Trump's legal team was well aware that the cases that they were presenting were just made up out of whole cloth, a majority of Republicans believe that the people who stormed the Capitol weren't Trump supporters but Antifa and Black Lives Matter guys, the Black Lives Matter folks just evidently did a hell of a job of disguising their race when they were storming the Capitol. It seems to me that the black folks who fought that day for freedom and democracy were cops. And God bless them. And, of course, we're, we're seeing how easily stupidity can lead to tragic outcomes in so many of these deeply red states with COVID completely out of control, it's all so stupid. It's all so stupid, really. And these people are, are many of them are spreading this crap for profit to get hits on their social media. And they, could, they just could care less that they are literally killing people. So, a pretty dark time. Perfect time to be on tour with a comedy show. But I'm a satirist, not a clown. Hope you check out my appearance dates. I'm coming to Milwaukee and Minneapolis this coming weekend, and then to Dallas and Atlanta the following weekend. Hope to see you along the way. You can check out the tour schedule at alfranken.com. So, let's go now to Mark Elias. As we come up, we're talking about the revelation this past week that the Trump team knew that the information they were presenting in court about the Dominion voting machines and the Smartmatic software company, which the Trump people had claimed had deliberately manufactured votes for Biden, they knew that there was no truth to that at all and yet argued it in court. So we'll pick up with that, and you'll enjoy this one and get a lot out of it, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup (laughs) that means that means I would also like the soup and that way I get soup with dinner here's a special limited time deal for our listeners right now get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription but only for our listeners at babble.com slash franken get up to 60% off at babble.com slash franken spelled b-a-b-b-e-l dot com slash franken
2: Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: The Trump team knew that what they're uh, presenting in court wasn't
3: true. Is that is that true, what I just said? So it seems like from what the press report was, is that um, the Trump campaign put together a memo analy- <laughs> analyzing whether what their lawyers were about to say uh, was true and came to the conclusion it wasn't which is pretty extraordinary. Now, we don't yet know how far that memo was circulated internally, uh, whether it went to the lawyers, but it's still a pretty crazy thing. And, of course, we only know about this because of the defamation lawsuits brought by the voting equipment company. Right, right. And those are um, the
0: uh, software company, which is... Yeah, Smartmatic. Yeah. And and then Dominion was the voting machines, but, but uh, Smartmatic actually was not
3: in any... Dominion machine isn't that correct? That is correct, and the and the <laughs> the allegations that were made against these companies were were just like made up out of whole cloth. They knew that because they made them up themselves.
0: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> when you make something up out of whole cloth, you're aware of that, aren't you? Unless you're that's absolutely a fair, that's a crazy. State. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Does Trump know that everything he says is? not true or almost everything he says, Oh, that's, that's a question we can't answer. Is it?
3: I mean, that's like a question you, that, that I oftentimes ask about like a whole bunch of people, like, (laughs) like if you just take the Fox news lineup, right? Mm -hmm. Like does Tucker know what he's saying is not true. Yes. You know, does Hannity know what he's saying
0: is not true. No, there's dumb. And then there's not dumb (laughs) (laughs) in life. And, uh, but, Who's worse? I don't know. You know know what the number one cause of death right now is in the United States? Tucker Carlson. Because of COVID. Yes, because uh, there's a a joke I tell in my act is uh, last night, Tucker Carlson uh, told a story on Fox about a uh, Kearney, Nebraska man who was vaccinated last Tuesday at 12.39 p.m. and exactly 12 hours later was dead. What Tucker didn't tell his audience is that the man's car was hit by a train. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these guys are mass murderers as far as I'm concerned. They really are. I mean, this is, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths. And they have been all along, too, because they were telling people not to wear masks. And, and yet within Fox, they have policies about vaccinations. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They have the same policy that any sane group would have. <laughs> so the management is, you know, they come under the Tucker category, smart, not the Sean category. <laughs> <laughs> I take it, but also the dishonest category, which covers just the whole place, right? Correct. Okay, let's, let's, but let's talk about that. Which part of the stuff that they knew was false did we prove they knew was false?
3: Well, again, it depends on the who the, like who the they, like everything they said was not true. (laughs) (laughs) So it was all, it was all false. Okay. Now we're, yes. Okay. Everything was false.
0: Whether they knew it was false or not is the issue here. But again, if you made it up at a whole cloth, then you probably knew it was false because you are the one who made it up or somebody new along seem the line to, that
3: would that would <laughs> that would follow yes i mean okay. it is it is what is hard to square is the volume of false things that they made up like it wasn't just one like like there's the big lie Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, the big lie is comprised of a thousand lies, like it's, it's lies about Georgia, it's lies within Georgia, it's lies, you know, within Michigan. Like it just it's it's there were so many things they said that were not true.
0: Now, didn't someone bring a, a, a case in Michigan going against the lawyers like Sidney Powell for deliberately also presenting
3: stuff in briefs that was just not true? That is correct. And, and the judge excreted all of the lawyers, Powell, not just Powell, but all of the lawyers on the Republican side who, who brought um, that lawsuit. That was one of the so-called Kraken lawsuits. So what, what happens to, ju- uh, to lawyers like that who knowingly present
0: briefs in court that they know are full of lies? What, sh- shouldn't
3: they be, oh, disbarred? Yeah. So, so it's interesting because there's, there's one thing that is happening. And then there's one thing that isn't happening that I think should. So mm-hmm. the thing that is happening is the bars are taking action for exactly what you just said, where lawyers have failed to meet their obligations uh, to the court, um, have violated the bar rules. So you saw the action New York bar took against Giuliani and you know, it's been publicly reported. There's bar investigations of Lynn Wood in Georgia, Sydney Powell, like that, that's one thing. But you know, I've argued that the bar needs to, and this would seem like you wouldn't need, but I think we need, like the bar should have a rule that it is unethical to undermine democracy. Yeah. And undermining democracy in and of itself is a disparable offense. Yeah. Setting aside all of the mechanics of, you know, whether a particular pleading was true or not. And uh I'd Isn't like to see undermining
0: democracy just a little harder to prove than just flat out <laughs> <laughs> lying in a brief. <laughs> it is,
3: but 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 you know, you yeah, And it's you, a little subjective, maybe, maybe. Sure. But so is. But look, all ethics investigations have a level of subjectivity, subjectivity. right? The question of whether or not um, a lawyer, you know, was competent, provided mm-hmm. effective assistance counsel, I mean, are subjective. Uh, I But I think that 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 you don't we don't allow lawyers to undermine the administration of justice, you know, which is subjective. Why do we allow them to undermine the fundamental tenets of democracy.
0: Because lawyers are about the law and
3: justice, not about democracy. Well, but can That's- you really parse those two apart, though? Can you really say that you have a, maybe, um, maybe. a fair administration of justice where you don't have uh, a commitment to uh, democratic norms and institutions? Okay,
0: okay, okay, you got me. You got me there. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, so let's talk about. Well, I, I want them disbarred, but I also want them in prison for doing this. I just think if you lie in court, you that there's a that's that's not perjury. What is it? Is there is there a crime if you lie in court? It can be perjury if it's under oath. Hey, Mark, this is a little far afield, but this is an idea I had for a defense counsel of a, a, a guy who's guilty, right, uh, from of murder. And he's there's an eyewitness to the murder, and he, see, he saw the guy shot the murder victim, shoot the murder victim in a room that he was an eyewitness. And he says that. And then, as the defense lawyer, I would go, Sir, do you know the penalty for perjury? And of course, yes. Okay, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know the exact penalty. Uh-huh. But just, just now you testified, you did know the penalty for perjury, Your Honor, how can we trust this man? And then I win the case. I think it's genius, Al. Let, let's talk about this new, uh, what's it uh, called? Freedom to Vote Act, which uh, Democrats, uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Joe Manchin, some others put together which I think is a really really good piece of legislation then we'll talk about the chances of it getting passed and stuff but tell me about what's in it and also tell me why what's in it is in
3: it and what what those things address how's that let me start by saying it is a really good bill um and I say that with enthusiasm and a little bit of surprise because normally when I hear there is going to be a compromise bill that does not inspire that what is going to come out is a better bill than the bill that started.
0: What surprised you that's in it that came out of a compromise bill? Say that again. What surprises you that's in it that came out of a compromise? Yeah. In so I'll, words, give
3: you, like, I'll give you an example. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, that's what the I was asking bill, for, Mark, the, <laughs> the bill, um, allows ballots that are cast in the wrong precinct, but in the right county, so-called outer precinct voting. Like in Arizona, they made
0: the, they said if that happens, they don't count. Correct. The, and that, that was part of what
3: was before the Supreme Court. Correct. Okay. And this yeah. bill reverses that, um, says that they do count. And that actually wasn't in the For the People Act. So that's like a surprise that is in this new compromise bill. You know why?
0: It's because of what I just said. I mean, they came up with it after the For the People Act was written. And who knew that wrinkle would happen? Or maybe you could have anticipated it. But do you, you know what Mike Michael Carvin said to the Supreme Court, to Amy Coney Barrett, when she asked, what, what, what's wrong with this? What, why wouldn't you allow these votes? And he didn't say, well, it's because there's fraud. He says, because it works to the Republicans'
3: advantage to, to nix them, didn't he? That's right. That was why they, he said they had standing. And you're right. <laughs> probably, that probably is why it's in the bill, but it does improve the bill. And the bill also has a number of provisions to protect um, election workers from harassment and intimidation. Again, you know, that's probably something cool. that's also it, very response. important and something that probably also motivated in part by what we've seen in the media since for the people first came out so this is not a knock on for the people it's it's
0: it says a good thing about for the people because for the people generated new ideas of voter suppression (laughs) by by republican state legislators and this addresses those new ideas so we flushed them out it
3: does another one for example is it um it it has provisions that prohibit poll challengers partisan poll challengers or observers from crowding up against voters. Now, who the hell would have ever thought that a state would allow that to happen? But of course, Texas passed a law that prohibits election officials from getting in between poll partisan poll challengers and watchers uh, and voters. So this created creates a law, a federal law that says, if you're going to have poll observers or challengers, they can't get within eight feet of a voter again a sad state of democracy that we need that but that's a really uh, important provision in light of what texas enacted you remember when amy klobuchar
0: asked amy coney barrett is voter intimidation against the law is it illegal and amy coney barrett said she didn't know do you remember that moment in the i do how amazing was
3: that so I think it was amazing because, you know, <laughs> to sort of go to your two-part test. I mean, Amy Kobe clearly knows that voter intimidation is illegal. So she was lying. The fact that she didn't feel like she could say that is a really remarkable
0: thing. And then, but she knew that's their, oh, well, that's our game plan. I can't say our game plan is illegal. <laughs> What am I going to do? I'm just going to lie by
3: saying I don't know. How can they prove I don't know that? So there are lots of good provisions in the Freedom to Vote Act. If it passes, it'll do a lot of good, you know. And one thing that I think is worth clarifying because it got a lot of press when um, Senator Manchin put out his framework. This is before the bill, but when he put out his framework, and um, voter ID was on the was on that. If you actually look at the bill. What it does is it does not require ID in states that do not have ID requirements, and it broadens the list of IDs that states have to allow as acceptable in states that do have them. So would I prefer a provision that says no ID? Sure. But it is actually, even in the arena of voter ID, it is actually a step in the right direction. And it says your driver's license, of course. Yeah, your driver's license, your college ID, but it also includes things like a utility bill or a lease. So it's not just things with photographs.
0: Good. Yes. That, there's a lot of
3: good things. There's a lot of things that addresses Warnock's bill, right?: Yep, it includes um, protection for election workers being fired without cause. It also, by the way, restricts voter caging. Uh, which is a tactic that Republicans use to purge voters and, and puts some other protections around. What, what is it? What uh, explain that. So voter caging is a, is an old device that, you know, Republicans have used as least as far back as, as 1982, um, probably before that, where they send non forwardable mail to households. And, if the mail comes back undeliverable, then they challenge those voters saying that they're not at their address. There are any number of reasons why something may come back as non forwardable That does not mean the person is not still eligible to vote at that address. Um, In fact, one of the things I always point out about this is that on the one hand, you have states that are saying college students shouldn't be allowed to vote in the Location where they go to college. On the other hand, you want to say that if they are no longer living at the place where they're originally from, they shouldn't be able to vote there either. So that's a good illustration of the problem with caging. It's not that there are lots of problems with caging. They tend it it has a a long history of being targeted at uh, majority black and Hispanic populations. So these non-forwardable postcards and like are not sent everywhere. They're targeted at at communities of color and there is a high error rate in them. Many states have have essentially abolished the use of this, but it's good to see a federal law that prohibits it.
0: And also didn't Warnock have some provisions in his package that was about state legislatures actually overturning the results of like a Raffensburger like a State Secretary yeah, State. I yeah, it 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 it
3: has um what I don't remember though is whether that whether those provisions were new or those were in for the people. I mean there's lots of other provisions in it involving same day registration and increased registration, protecting vote by mail, expanding vote by mail opportunities, early mandating um uh, early voting opportunities. So there's lots of other provisions in the law that are Really worthy. Yeah. But
0: I think what I was talking about was one of, again, one of those things that we kind of flushed out by them going like, hmm, let's come up with something new because that's what they really were trying to do. Like they tried to do this in Arizona, right? To give it to the, instead of to the, uh, secretary of state, now to the attorney general because he was a Republican. Yep. I mean, that, that's really, really underhanded and fishy. And I think, and this addresses it. And I think Warnock addresses
3: and adopted
0: what Warnock did.
3: Yeah. it's my understanding. So it's a good bill. I hope it passes. I I don't share the optimism of some that it will achieve a wave of bipartisanship around voting rights. I think Democrats are going to have to go this alone. But I think that history will remember them as the
0: heroes if they go it alone. And by going it alone, you mean carving it out so that
3: you can pass it with just 50. I think it needs to be able to be passed with just fifty. I am I am I know you have a, a very compelling a very interesting and insightful way of dealing with the filibuster that would solve this. There are other proposals around reformation of the filibuster. I'm kind of agnostic on the means. Well, this is such an existential issue. Yeah. Which is our democracy,
0: as you were kind of pointing out earlier. The question is, do you get mansion to do that do you get Cinnamon to do that maybe some other people who have been maybe you know less vocal on this but you'd have to get all 50 to say yeah let's do that right yeah because i don't think you'll get a single republican i don't think so either has as mcconnell said that by the way has mcconnell said you're not going to get one republican vote on this <laughs>
3: As he said that. I think he has. Uh, he, has. Yeah. he has. He has. You know, I I, I find this an amazing statistic or um, fact, both f- for the people and the um, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act passed out of the House. Between those two bills, they got no Republican votes. None. Zero. Mm-hmm. Adam Kinzinger didn't vote for them. None of the none of the so called moderates voted for even the John Lewis bill. Remember, the John Lewis Voting Rights Restoration Act is a successor to a bill that passed 98-0 in 2006. There are seven Republicans in Congress today who have a failing grade from the NRA, which means it is easier to cross the NRA in today's Republican Party than it is to support voting rights. Well, uh, the NRA has lost a little clout, evidently. Yeah. What other public policy issue attracts zero votes from Republicans? (laughs) I can't think of
0: one. Wow. Okay. Voting rights. That's it? That's that's a good argument for the carve out, actually. Correct. Yeah. So there you go. Very good. That's thinking. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see, won't we? I, I I agree with you that it's either, you know, do it with 50 votes, and that means getting Manchin mm-hmm. on that and getting cinema and maybe a couple others who are, you know, loath to, to, to do that. But that's a lot simpler than doing what the idea that Norm and I have, which is a talking filibuster where 41 of them have to stay on the floor, which would be fun to see, actually, to see Chuck Grassley have to try to stay up.
3: I just have to say the thing that has radicalized me on the filibuster more than anything else, which is something I didn't know. I'm somewhat embarrassed to say I went this long in practicing law and being around the Senate. They are able to filibuster the motion to proceed to debate. In other words, I thought they could filibuster the passage of the bill. They can actually filibuster even beginning to talk about the bill. They did that. Right? Yeah. Already on
0: on uh, the first voting rights. But what's the rationale to that? Like, no, it is amazing,
3: isn't it? Like, why won't they even just debate the bill?
0: Yeah, I, I thought. You see, filibuster went during Strom Thurmond's time during the segregationist time was just you get up and you debate. You know, you get up and you give a long speech, and this this is what our talking filibuster thing would do: would be give them a chance to debate with us on the merits of the, the stuff, and I think that's a winner for us. You know, people say to me, well, they'd stay there for days and weeks. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> I know these people. They, they wouldn't last more than a day. They're not going to do that. They're just not going to do that. You don't think, like, Ted Cruz and... Uh... I don't even think Ted Cruz would go more than a couple days, but, I mean, okay, so Ted Cruz does it, but they don't get 41 to do that. They just don't. They don't get Inhofe. They don't get McConnell. McConnell, I'm I'm not going to say here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, you know, let people, I don't know, hell, let them vote and we'll lose. But I'm going to get to my sleep. (laughs) Yeah. People, these old people get cranky. I've seen them. Dianne Feinstein used to, we, we used to want to say, like, let's stay on the floor and make them, you know, she goes, no, <laughs> 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 they won't stay there.
3: But anyway, uh, hopefully you think Senator Grassley would, would, uh, would hold the floor.
0: Oh, well, no, I can, I could do it maybe for an hour, <laughs> but then, you know, I've got to, got to get my sleep and i gotta go i jog every morning you know i go running the slowest jog you've ever seen (laughs) but i do it (laughs) anyway okay i can do every one of my colleagues i can even no i I can't do you do do you do any democrats i well yeah i do this country is brought by the millionaires and the billionaires
3: (laughs) okay that's easy though it is really how about can you how about sherrod brown well, Sherrod is, is kind of in here, isn't he? That's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. In, in Zanesville. You know, he does. He gets on the floor and talks about the people, of, you know, in Zanesville, Dayton. You know, he always talks about Ohio cities. Okay, don't ask me anymore so uh so this is a good act, and uh yeah, and I think an achievement that they got mansion to sign on and you get mansion to sign on you you get cinema, I think, so the, I think we have the fifty little sign- on it's just it, it's just exactly what we're talking about, how you get this done, right? That's it. That's exactly right and um and and
3: it's the difference, it's night and day in terms of our democracy. you know, right now, you know, I'm in court. In thirteen states, twenty-seven lawsuits involving voting elections. And you know, we're gonna win a bunch of those cases, but every day it's like showing up with like a butter knife. <laughs> it's not even a knife, it's not even showing up with a knife to a gunfight. It's like, you know, the we, we are fighting everything with every tool we have available, but it's but it's hard. And what this law would do is, is turn the tables and really tell states, these are things you owe voters. These are the way you're going to effectuate voting rights for your citizens. And you can provide more than that, but you can't provide less. And it would totally be transformational to voting in this country in the way that we have not seen since 1965. And without that, you know, we'll keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting you know, to the bitter end but this is a this is a, a a really big opportunity for democrats to do something transformational for american democracy McConnell, on i think on the
0: last one in which they filibustered going to debate he said something like it's already illegal to suppress votes in the united states and he's talking about you know the what, which, which amendment is that? The 15th?
3: <laughs> He's referring to the thing that um, Justice Barrett said she wasn't sure about.
0: Like, uh-huh. Well, what year did the 15th Amendment pass? And why did we have to pass the 1965 Voting Rights Act?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And look, what Republicans ever pay attention to is that the, the Civil War Amendments, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, give Congress special authority to implement those amendments to make sure that full citizenship and full voting rights are achieved, full, full civil rights are achieved. So Congress has that, has that power. It also has that obligation. And so I hope,
0: it, I hope it meets the moment. Yeah. I mean, there are 50 Republican senators who don't, don't care. That's true. That,
3: no, no, they actually do care. They, I wish they just didn't care, but they do care. They're they're actively uh preventing full voting rights.
0: Yeah, but they don't care that they have the obligation to protect voting rights. Correct. That they don't care about. They do care about their ability to stop <laughs> people from and to suppress votes. That they care tremendously about. And that's why uh cinema and mansion uh have to have to do this so we'll see we'll see how long will that take do we
3: know We do know i think obviously the from my standpoint what i've told people is um the sooner the better um everyone wants to know what the magic deadline is and i tell them there isn't a magic deadline you know we are about 13 months out from the 2022 elections we're in the middle of redistricting and it's it gets incrementally harder to affect new voting policies in time for 2022 and for the redistricting cycle, I'm not going to say it's too late, but I also am not going to say people have a, a specified amount more time. It seems like, you know, there are a number of pressing concerns before Congress right now involving uh, yeah. Immigration. various spending bills and budget and uh, yeah, yeah. the debt ceiling and the like, but um, I hope they will turn to this in earnest soon.
0: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Mark
2: Elias. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home.
4: So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But You'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
0: We're back with Mark Elias. The Supreme Court decided, what, a couple years ago that they didn't have uh, jurisdiction over
3: making sure the states don't gerrymander, right? They, they they decided in case Rucho versus Common Cause that there is no cognizable federal claim for partisan gerrymandering. So you can still challenge gerrymanders as unconstitutional under uh, if they are racially gerrymandered or if they violate federal law, the Voting Rights Act, for example, uh, and you can challenge them under state constitutions. And there are, you know, several states that have found a state constitutional right to not be partisan gerrymander, but but they're basically saying constitutionally, you, we we have no say
0: over whether a state legislature is deliberately gerrymandering for the advantage of one party over the other.
3: That's correct. It's a it's a decidedly odd outcome because if a state says because black voters vote Democratic, we are going to gerrymander um, to dilute the ability of Black voters to elect, you know, a certain number of members of Congress, um, that would be unconstitutional under the ban on racial gerrymandering. If, on the other hand, they just say, "Oh, you know what? We we're not we're not looking at race at all. We're just looking at party." And that's why we're going to put these these darker
0: brown or Democrats all in one district, <laughs> right? Then <laughs> then it, then the Supreme Court says they're powerless to do anything about it. I see. What was the uh, composition of that vote on, on the court?
3: So that was 5-4 yeah. when Justice Kennedy was on the court. Justice Kennedy was the swing vote there. And obviously, since then, Justice Kennedy has been replaced by a more conservative justice. Justice Ginsburg's been replaced uh, by, a, by a substantially more conservative um, justice. And Justice Scalia has been replaced by a conservative justice.
0: Who is the most problematic Justice in terms of voting rights, would you say Alito? Yeah. Yeah. The narrowest view of voting rights would be Alito. Yeah. And what is that based on? Is that based on some legal constitutional theory or just his animus toward, um,
3: I don't know, for Democrats? So to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure I know. That's sad. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I mean, yeah. There were cases that I brought for the Supreme Court in which Justice Thomas sided with the the side I was on. He's deeply conservative, but there is a in, there's an there's an internal consistency to much of it around race and voting. Alito, I had a harder time divining what the jurisprudential distinctions he was drawing on. Do you suspect? Something other than
0: what one would hope that a Supreme Court justice makes decisions
3: based upon? I mean, look, it's, it, it is very difficult to understand, for example, um, how a Supreme Court that just a few years ago was saying that the president had basically plenary authority to over immigration can now issue a ruling that – seems to suggest President Biden has very little power <laughs> over over immigration. Um, it's difficult to understand how this how the Supreme Court ruled the way it did on the abortion bill in Texas, the SB-5. five. Absolutely amazing to me. Because because here's the thing if 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 New York passed a law that said we're not gonna ban gun ownership. Okay, because that that would be unconstitutional. But we're going to allow anyone who is able to prove that someone owns a gun to co- to collect $10,000 in damages from that individual. Right. If that law was in place in New York, it is hard to imagine that this Supreme Court would have said there's no problem. Some states should pass that law now. So they have to <laughs> They have to go. No,
0: there's a difference yeah <laughs> i mean this is absolutely ridiculous and also deciding it like uh without any arguments without any briefs without just yep we're just gonna decide in two days or whatever it was so
3: if if you're cynical you think that the shadow docket as it's become known, right you know right. It, it was once the case that the supreme court you know, over the summer or in between uh, seatings, true emergencies would come up that would require the court to take um, action. They were usually death penalty cases, not only death penalty, but you know, where the Supreme Court's got a rule on a stay on an execution. And in general, the assumption was that what the Supreme Court would do is exercise its power to keep the status quo. Why, if if it was a close question, it would keep the status quo so that the court could then rule on it later. So, in other words,
0: keep the, keep the person who's going to be executed alive.
3: Correct. So, the logical thing you do if you have SB-8 coming up to the Supreme Court, you know, in between sessions is you say, okay, we're going to stay, we're going to block on a temporary basis the Texas okay. law until this case can be Properly presented to us. Like that's the, that's the usual way in which you would expect the court to act. And, and you would expect the court otherwise in cases that are not emergencies, you know, don't involve fundamental rights. They, the court would just basically decline to get involved one way or the other. And, um, if you're cynical, you think that the Supreme Court has increased, number one, there's no question the Supreme Court has increased the number of decisions it makes in this so-called shadow docket it made a number of them in the voting rights arena. But you would assume that it would do those only in the most emergent circumstances and where you were preserving the status quo and protecting people's rights while things were being heard. And a cynic would say that the reason why the Supreme Court is doing more of these cases and ruling the way they are is that because it's the shadow docket, it doesn't get as much light and sunshine and doesn't get as much attention. So it's, the court is able to do significant damage to civil rights and civil liberties without there being the kind of full-scale reporting that there is when the court hears oral argument and decides a major case. You know, I, I, I don't consider myself a cynic,
0: but I don't see any other interpretation of that. And this is, I mean, Roe v. Wade said women have a right to have an abortion up to viability. Right, yeah, and uh, this is completely contradictory to that. So they're actually undoing precedent to allow using the shadow docket, uh, docket with no arguments, nothing public, no uh, oral arguments, no briefs, nothing. That to me is is
3: obscene. Yeah. It was not that long ago that the Supreme Court would regularly chastise lower courts for anticipating Supreme Court reversals. So, the way the law, the way it's supposed to work is that if Roe versus Wade or, you know, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is the, you know, the early 90s reformulation of the Roe test, if those remain on the books as good law by the Supreme Court, which they do, right? They, that is the current law on reproductive rights as the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled in its latest decisions. It has been for, you know, generate, you know, for for more than hundred years, the Supreme Court's position has been that a lower court is not allowed to anticipate that the Supreme Court may reverse or otherwise modify that decision, that the lower courts are bound by that decision. And until there is a formal reversal the lower courts need to abide by it. And what's really extraordinary in the- Stare decisis. Yeah, that's right. And, and what's really extraordinary is that the Supreme Court allowed essentially the lower courts to disrespect existing Supreme Court precedent in anticipation that the Supreme Court will overturn that precedent. And that becomes a dangerous thing if you start to let that happen, because that allows conservative courts to anticipate the overturning of a lot of cases that are not overturned, that are still, that are still existing law.
0: How quickly can the Supreme Court reverse something? Let's say the Circuit Court reverses something that is, is a constitutional law, right? Or a yep. decision, or reverses a decision.
3: How quickly can the Supreme Court go beat it down and go, no. I mean, you know, it depends on the circumstance, but a matter of days, weeks at the most okay. hours in the case of death penalty cases. You know, that's what the Supreme Court so-called shadow docket historically was about, is that if you got a state of Texas that got out oh, over I its see.
0: skis. So someone brings the case before the shadow docket.
3: Yeah. And the that's idea a, was, okay. you know, like the way this is supposed to work is, you know, there's a Mississippi case that's going that's going to be argued before the court on Roe versus Wade. So it's a direct challenge to Roe weight. Wade, and the 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 way this is supposed to work is that until the U.S. Supreme Court issues a decision in that case, okay, until literally the opinion comes down and you know and it is what it is, the law of the land remains what it is today. Like you know, there's the Supreme Court hasn't hasn't ruled on that case, and so what's happening is conservative judges in lower courts are anticipating what the supreme court will do well the supreme court should be telling those lower courts in no uncertain terms you don't get to anticipate until we tell you the law is different you are bound by the existing law but the opposite happened here which is that the circuit court here
0: reversed some judges decision like a a district court judge and then and instead of saying no to that circuit court in Texas, the 5th, I guess, yep. they said, okay,
3: you're right. Right. And did it, did it <laughs> through the, the shadow docket. Right. And that's, that's not, in my view, an appropriate use of how the court should operate. So aside from the Freedom to Vote
0: Act, which uh, we kind of is like sort of the black and white piece in all of this in terms of voting rights right now uh what else is on your mind and going forward in voting rights
3: so a few things um the first is you know the companion bill or the other bill that's moving through congress which has gotten less public attention because it moved later is the john lewis voting rights advancement act which is essentially the restoration of the Voting Rights Act after the Supreme Court's disastrous decision in Shelby County. Um, It would reinstate preclearance into the voting system to protect minority voting rights uh, and would make other restorations based on the Supreme Court's decision in Brnovich or Brnovich rather. And so that's a very important bill. And what's really striking about how that bill is progressing is that In 1982, Ronald Reagan signed uh, a reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act um, and called it the crown jewel of American democracy. In 2006, George W. Bush signed a reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, and the push for that passage of that Voting Rights Act was led by the business community, the business roundtable. Walmart Corporation led the led the charge for pushing Congress to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act, and it garnered ninety eight votes in the U.S. Senate with no no votes. And so we've gone from that world now to a place in which no House Republicans voted for it. There's some talk that maybe Lisa Murkowski will vote for it in the Senate. She said something about. Teaming up with Mansion on it, didn't she? Early on, yes, yeah, yeah. But but again, that's you know, as you recall, it wasn't that long ago that Senator Scott was teaming up with Cory Booker on criminal justice reform. So we'll see whether or not she ultimately, whether Lisa Murkowski ultimately does vote for it or not. But it's a sad state of affairs that that a bill that used to be so bipartisan that that Republican presidents took. Public credit for has now become a non-starter in Republican politics. So that's the other big voting bill to be on the way. And, and when she-
0: when Shelby was decided and overturned pre-clearance, right, the pre-clearance yes. uh, piece of the Voting Rights Act, um, the reasoning was that uh, well, it, we've seen a diminishment or almost disappearing of the kind of voter suppression that we had before this thing. Therefore, we can get rid of it. And, and then Ginsburg said that's like saying uh, we can get rid of the umbrella when it's raining. Of course, that's her famous quote. But isn't it clear? Isn't it just so clear since then that she was right and Roberts was wrong? And it, it, the same thing to me isn't the case in Citizens United kennedy wrote the opinion on that and in the opinion he said the great thing about this is that there is disclosure and everybody there'll be no uh, appearance of 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 uh corruption because everything will be disclosed he said that in the opinion right yeah so how Look. can you say shit in the opinion and then have it so clearly contradicted and not go like well i guess we made a mistake isn't there some principle
3: Look, I mean what what Chief Justice Roberts said in Shelby County was things have changed dramatically. That's that's his uh, talking about voting rights in the South, okay? He said things have changed dramatically because in the South. of Pretty clear. <laughs> and you what idiot. we've seen now since Shelby County is things have <laughs> actually <laughs> changed back. Um, you know, uh, we've seen state after state, with the exception of Virginia, which is, you know, now actually a, a shining star of voting rights uh, under Democratic control. But with the exception of Virginia, the the old South, uh, where most of the the Voting Rights Act was covered, is now mired in more and more voter suppression laws and
0: more and more efforts. Here's my question. So Chief Justice Roberts shows up at some forum where, you know, and with us is speaking, our honored guest, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, and he's going to be opening himself to questions. Aren't there things like that? And then doesn't somebody go like, you said (laughs)
3: things have changed, but they change back because of your decision. Look, you know this from, from your time as senator. There are speaking engagements you go to, that are like town halls where it's like free, free form. And then they're speaking engagements you go to that are pretty highly structured in who the yeah. audience is. Yeah, I, I felt- don't think Supreme court justices go to a lot of town halls.
0: <laughs> I know, you know. it's not
3: town halls, but aren't there just thing where
0: eminent scholars are there and, or does he just go to federalist society events? I mean, aren't, aren't there things
3: where he goes where there are, I think that most justices speak in fairly um, controlled settings you know unless they're writing books and you know we're doing the talk show circuit yeah. um, i saw that uh, justice uh, comey barrett uh, you know spoke recently at the mcconnell institute and uh, yeah that seems uh, pretty open
0: yeah in kentucky now watch out as your as your uh, public affairs advisor uh, judge Coney barrett the mcconnell center audience is pretty are going to be pretty tricky.
3: It was <laughs> <laughs> going to be a pretty hostile crowd there. She, she, um, as you know, um, from the public press coverage, she lamented the fact that people think that there is partisan political agendas on the court. And I th- obviously yeah. the place to roll out that concern would be the McConnell center.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A- anything else you, uh, you want to, uh, deal with anything else? Yeah.
3: So the, the, you know, the other thing that's going on right now is obviously we are seeing a wave of voter suppression in state legislatures. We're challenging those in court and that's important. But the other thing is we're now starting to see the States really dig into the redistricting process. And people don't realize that this, this will set the, the, the course of American politics in state legislatures and in the U S house for the next decade, um, and so without Freedom to Vote Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, we're going to see these states draw as districts and Republicans engage in gerrymandering in a way that's really problematic. And that is happening now. I mean, we are we are seeing those the product of those maps um, or the product of the lack of standards in those maps every day. You know, Indiana has released a draft map. Uh, and we're going to see lots more states now start to release their draft maps. So it's um, so it's really important that um, we not lose a 10-year cycle of redistricting in action. And what is the timeline
0: on that? I mean, you talked a little bit about this, is that uh, as time goes by, this gets harder and harder in a way. Are these state lines going to be set uh, before the uh, the Freedom to Vote Act? is passed, or given, let's say, the most optimistic uh, view, uh, thing happens here, and we, use the, we do it with 50, or 51, rather, can they reverse state lines that have been created?
3: So, we certainly will try, and we have good arguments um, based on the way the bill is now drafted, which talks about um, states are, are not allowed to hold elections using lines that were not drawn in compliance with Freedom to Vote Act. Um, So that's a good legal argument. It's one we're going to deploy and deploy aggressively. But the fear is that you get to a point where elections need to start to move forward. Candidates need to start to qualify you know, candidates need to file for primaries. And at some point, courts start to become more reluctant to Mm -hmm. meddle with drawing new maps. Now, we're not at that point yet. Um, I think it's still, there's still time for Congress to pass the law and for us to meaningfully impact the um, 2021 round of redistricting. But But, there's a clock uh, running. But there's a clock running. Yeah, all the more reason to to
0: dress this sooner rather than later and yeah yeah and they, there's a lot of stuff on their plate as you were saying well i, I hope you enjoyed uh listening that beautiful music is by leo kotki the great leo kotki i want to thank peter ogburn for producing this podcast we'll talk again next week Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
4: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV.